0: All right. Hey, there we go. Good morning. And no, that probably wasn't my mom who was cheering. Um, So that just gives you an idea of the home that I grew up in. I'm totally kidding. A lot of you know my parents and they are great people. I constantly hear. From people over here, how much they love them, which I'm glad that somebody does. But hey, I just want to give you a little info about me and my family before we get rolling today. Um, because my family and I have been around Genesis for about seven months now, and Jerry finally let us leave the Carmel campus to come over and worship with you all today, because we really are one church that meets in two locations. And so we are thrilled to be here today, because Part, I got to sleep in just a little bit because I only live about five minutes from here versus the 20 it takes me to get to Carmel, and on a snowy day, that worked out really well. Um, but honestly, we love being part of Genesis. Steve and Joel both talked about how often we hear about the community around here, and we've gotten to experience it. In the first week, two weeks, we felt like we were part of the family. So all of you played a part of that because that's just part of our DNA here. So thank you for that. But we also love being here because we feel like God's doing something really special inside of Genesis right now. And we feel like he's doing something special inside of Genesis because he wants to do something through Genesis in the weeks, months, and years to come. And to give you a total spoiler alert about where we're going today, but um, it's the fact that he's sending all of us out. Joel mentioned that God welcomes us in as sons and daughters into his own home but he welcomes us in and prepares us to send us back out to carry that same message to other people that there is still room in the home for more people. And so before we get going too far today, before we even look at any scripture, I think it's vitally important that we start with a moment of prayer. So will you please bow your heads with me? God Almighty, thank you for today. Thank you for time to gather as a church family, to look at your word. And I pray, God, that as we look at your word, that we will hear your voice and that your Holy Spirit will remain present in this room and that it will tell us what we need to hear as individuals. Because, God, we know that you are intimately involved in every aspect of our lives and you have a very specific plan, God. You do not do anything haphazardly. So I pray that you clear away distractions from our minds and from our hearts, and that you allow us to hear from you clearly today. God, we love you and we trust you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Now, I don't know how many of you in the room uh, recognize the name Harry Winston. Just go ahead and throw your hand up if if you know the name at all. One person, I think, so far, only one person. And to be honest, I had no clue who this guy was until Wednesday. But Harry Winston in the 1950s and 60s became known in New York City as the King of Jewelry. And it's because of his vast collection that I imagine was worth a number I can't even, I can't even say. Um, but the amazing thing about Harry is not so much that he, be, he had this title or that he had such a vast collection, but that in 1958, he's the one who donated the Hope Diamond to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. And so this diamond is about 45 and a half carats. That, yes, whoever whistled, that is the best response because the truth is that's almost 90 times bigger than the ring that I gave my wife when I asked her to marry me. It's, and on top of that, it's worth an estimated $300 million. And it's probably more than that now with the rate of inflation. But Harry just decided to donate this to the museum in DC. Now, Harry lived in New York and you would think that he would probably just take this down there on his own. I know I would have, because it's not that far from New York to D.C. He could hop on a train or just drive himself down. And honestly, if it were me, I would have put the thing in a briefcase and handcuffed it to at least one of my wrists to make sure that I didn't lose it. But that's not what Harry decided to do. Harry just decided to go to the post office. He went to the post office. He took that 45-carat diamond and shoved it in this envelope. And he put, slapped some stamps on it and gave it to a mailman and said, take this to Washington DC. And that was it. Like this was long before tracking numbers, long before GPS tags. And so he had no way of knowing whether or not it was actually gonna end up there. And as amazing, as baffling as it is that he just handed over $300 million to a stranger and told him to take it to DC, it did end up getting there. And I, um, in reading about this earlier in the week, there was an interview done with the mail person, the mailman who carried this to D.C. And they asked him, like, what did you think about carrying something so valuable and something so frail all the way to D.C.? To which his response was, I just didn't want to lose it. To which my response is, well, duh. Like, it's $300 million you're carrying in a bag. And so as they went on with this interview, he started to reflect on what it really felt like to have the honor and the privilege of carrying something so valuable and so expensive that was being donated to for other people to see. But on top of that, he also started to recognize and acknowledge and process the overwhelming fear of responsibility that came along with it. Now, I've already told you where we're going today, and if you've been along if you've been going through this reset series with us, you you get exactly where I'm going. Those of us in this room who have given our life to Christ, who have placed our hope and our faith in Jesus are carrying something far more valuable than the hope diamonds. We're carrying a message of hope that leads to eternal salvation in Christ. We just sang about how, we just sang about the fact that it's in Christ that we are alive. And while that diamond is worth 300 plus million dollars at the end of the day, the hope diamond is nothing more than a big, shiny rock. And this is why we're talking about our important mission so much at the beginning of the year. Because as Paul says in Second Corinthians, we are ambassadors. We have been given the honor and the privilege and the responsibility to speak on behalf of Jesus to others for the sake of Jesus. And it's this ministry of helping people find their way back to God that is driving us forward. And so, if you remember week one, we talked about the fact that our mission is just that, to help people find their way back to God. Week two, we talked about our vision of how we're going to accomplish that mission by, by being a church full of disciples who make disciples, And then last week, we talked through what we call the pathway. It's how to be an active part of the church family here. And today, we're going to look at what Jesus says. And as we look at Jesus' words in Luke chapter 10, we're going to see what is important to him, but also what brings him great joy. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, go ahead and make your way to Luke chapter 10, where we're going to start in verse 1. Starting in verse 1, Luke writes, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, I know some of you are still making your way there, but I want to pause for just a second because we're only one sentence in, and there's loads of stuff in this verse that I want to point out to you. Not, there's really just two things, but it's really important. One, uh, some of your translations may say 70 instead of 72. And a lot of Bible scholars and commentators who have studied original manuscripts and everything think that there was just a minor error somewhere along the way that changed it from 70 to 72. But the fact of the matter is the, the actual number doesn't matter. Because what they believe and what, I, what they've convinced me of is that Luke is intentionally trying to, to draw us back to the book of Exodus. Because in the book of Exodus, we see that Moses, through the, through the leading in God and the prompting of God, appoints 70 elders from the nation of Israel. And he appoints these 70 elders to help him lead the nation of Israel through the wilderness and into the promised Land. And what these people who are much smarter than me, are trying to get, trying to get us to understand, is that in appointing these 70, and in, in tying us back to Exodus, Luke is making it blatantly clear that Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus didn't come just to free us from slavery as Moses uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt. But in appointing these 70 and sending them out, Jesus is partnered with these 70 to say, go prepare the way for the real Exodus. The Exodus from the powers of sin and the darkness that are in this world that only come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I also wanna point out to you in that verse, if you can put it back up for just a second, that Jesus uh, uh, sent them to every town and place where he was about to go. This is just more evidence that Jesus didn't do anything haphazardly. He had a specific plan for these places, and he had a specific plan for these 70. It's not like Jesus said, hey, guys, go tell these towns that, like, I might come, I might be there, or if I'm in the area, I, I may swing by if it's not too far out of the way. No, Jesus was laser-focused on sending these 70 to these very specific towns to accomplish a very specific plan in a very specific way. And the same is true today. Jesus is just as strategic and he is just as specific with his plans for you and for me and for anybody else. And so we continue in verse 2 where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the Harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone along the road. Now, this sounds a bit bizarre um, because he just tells them, "Hey, there's a lot of work to do." Okay, and I know there are there aren't enough people. Jesus is acknowledging the difficulty of the task that He's sending them out to do. He's saying there's a lot of work to do, and oh, by the way, it's going to be super dangerous. Like, I'm talking baby defenseless animal in front of ferocious pack hunters level level dangerous, and I don't want you to take anything with you. Just, just go and don't talk to anybody. And like, if this is meant to be a job description of what it means to carry the message of Jesus forward, it's a bad one, right? Like, who wants to sign up for something that dangerous where you can't take anything with you, and you're not even supposed to talk to anybody you meet along the way? Now, you're smart people, I'm assuming. Um, But this is where we just need to look look at this a little less literally than we normally read the Bible. Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, there's a lot of work to do. So go and be obedient and pray and ask God to bring more people alongside you to do the work of preparing the way. But I want you to know it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be safe. And The reason I don't want you to take anything with you is because I don't want you to be weighed down by excess baggage. I want you to be ready to go as my spirit leads you. And on top of that, it's not that I I don't want you to be rude. I don't want you to be discourteous to people. Talk to people. But I want you to remain laser focused on the task that I have given you. And these are the these are the things that Jesus is saying. He's saying be laser focused Trust in me, trust that I will provide for you and trust that I will protect you along the way. He's told them they've got a lot to do and now he's told them how to accomplish it, to trust and to obey and in obedience obedience, to not get distracted. And that's probably the hardest thing for you and me today if we think about this because the culture in which we live isn't, isn't too dangerous to talk to people about Jesus, but the fact of the matter is we live in an age of distraction whether it's social media on your phone or working too many hours to pay for things you don't really need or overly packed schedules to make sure your kids have all the right experiences and the right opportunities, we all face distractions all the time. And I get that three years ago when lockdown hit, everything changed for everybody like that. And it forced a lot of us to reevaluate different parts of our lives. And it was also a turning point in our culture because what, a lot of studies have suggested is that as we went into lockdown, people started to evaluate whether or not they felt like they needed to be an active part of a church family. And please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with attending church online. If you can't make it in person, whether you're out of town or you're sick or some other, any other circumstance, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also no substitution for being an active part of the church family. And what we need to understand about the call to follow Jesus is that it's not a call to an easy life, but it is a call to a life full of real purpose. The, uh, the great reformer Martin Luther said it this way. He said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And if you just want to leave that up for a second, I want you to ponder this question, and we don't have time to really dig into it right now, but I want you to carry this with you throughout the week and try to answer the question, is there something in my life that I am prioritizing more than obedience to Jesus? It's a hard question to answer because it starts to reveal a lot about the inner workings of our hearts and the areas of our life that we need to give over to the Lordship of Christ. And it may cost something and it may may bring about a bit of suffering in various ways, but at the end of the day, it leads us to a life of real purpose. And so continuing with Jesus' words in verse five, he says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the workers deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. See, as we follow Jesus and we respond in obedience, God is going to open up some doors that we don't expect. And some of those doors are going to have great experiences, and some of those doors are going to close on you. But Jesus tells us in these verses and a few few others that when this happens, to just move on. Move on and and remain laser focused on carrying forward the most valuable message that you can years ago, I worked with this guy named Jason. Uh, Jason's probably about 15 years older than me or so. And so he was probably in his mid to late forties at the time. And Jason is more than just a little rough around the edges. Okay. He's real rough around the edges. Um, but we got along pretty well and we ended up becoming friends. And um, at the time I was between church jobs. And so I was looking for a new job in ministry, working, this, working the, the job where I was to provide for my family. And Um, and I was pretty open about that, and I was open about my faith, and um, Jason was pretty open about his questions and his his views on church, and so we had a lot of great conversations about my faith, about why I wanted to continue in ministry and felt called that way, and also why he didn't like church and his church experiences, and why at this point he just had very little belief in any kind of faith. And so Jason and I worked together quite a bit, and we got to know each other pretty well. And so after we'd worked together for about a year, um, I had an opportunity to share my faith with him in a, in a very specific way. Okay, so we were working on something together. Nobody else was helping us. Nobody else was really around and there weren't really any distractions, which was very surprising for where we were. And so as Jason and I were working on this, I thought, here's my chance. Now I can do it. So I laid out for him what the gospel means. Like I laid out what Jesus did for us and why that matters and the fact that we can never do it on our own and like what that means for me and the, and the changes that that has made in me and how I want to respond because of that. And I thought, this is, this is, as I'm telling him this, which it wasn't perfect, but it fit our relationship, um, and it, I wasn't planning to do it this day. But as I'm sharing this, I'm thinking, this is perfect. Like, Easter's just a few days away. And so I ended all of this that I'm telling him with an invitation to just come and see. Like, come to Easter service with me and my family and just see what it's all about and investigate it for yourself. And so I lay all this out and thinking, okay, this is going really well. And this was his response. Yeah, he just stared at me with the most blank expression on his face that I've ever seen. And so what did I do? I just stared right back at him for a very awkward amount of time. And so as we're staring at each other, I started thinking, I know I said those words out loud. Like, I know for sure that he heard these words. Why isn't he saying anything back to me? Because like he always has something to say and he always has to have the last word. And so we just continued to stand there and we just stared each other in the face for a very awkward amount of time while I waited for him to either accept the invitation and accept what I had laid out for him, maybe ask some questions or respond with a bunch of words that I'm not allowed to say up here. And so we just continued to stare. And then he finally broke the silence with, well, let's get back to work. And that was it. No other response than a blank stare and hey, let's just get back to work. And I thought, what in the world just happened? But what I want you to understand is that in doing this and responding to the call to carry Jesus' messages forward and doing it obediently, you're going to have some great experiences. God is going to open doors and he's going to, you're going to see him do amazing things in the lives of people as they come to faith. At the same time, some of those doors are going to close on you real fast and real hard. And some of them, like my experience with Jason, they're just going to close real slow and awkward-like. But the point remains, following Jesus Followers of Jesus have been given a message to proclaim. And here's how we're supposed to do it. Look at verse nine, where Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And here's where all of this is going. Jesus wanted these 70 to represent him in these specific towns and villages he was sending them to. He gave them the authority to do what they had seen him do and he wanted them to actually do it. And as they did it, they were to tell people, the kingdom of God is near. It is on its way and the king is coming. And this, right, this statement right here is why their mission was so incredibly dangerous. You see, they were announcing this new kingdom and a new king who was coming to set them free. And Rome didn't take claims of new kings, kingdoms, or coups lightly. They shut them down with extreme measures. But the mess, and that's why this message was so dangerous. But it was also incredibly hopeful to the people that they were, they were hearing it. And it's still incredibly hopeful today. Because look, the kingdom of God is here, but it's still coming. And Jesus ushered in the kingdom when he died and rose again. And I love the way N.T. Wright puts it in his book, The Day the Revolution Began. He says, the decisive victory against the powers of sin and darkness has already been won, the revolution has begun. You see, living out this mission that Jesus has given us starts in our hearts, but it can't stay there. And it can be really frightening to carry this message forward. But it takes courage to choose to live this way. And the good news is that you and I, we can't do this on our own. We can't just carry this message forward in our own power and expect it to work out well. Look at what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is an amazing promise because Jesus understood the difficulty that we would face as we follow him. But we also have to realize that there is a great sense of urgency when we look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. We know the hope of Christ as our salvation. But there will be a day, there's one day coming when you will take your last breath and I will take my last breath or Jesus will come back. And when that day comes and when that day arrives, those who have rejected him, will no longer have an opportunity to begin a relationship with him, to enter in to salvation. And guys, it really does pain me to say that because there are people I care about who don't see a need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. I've never seen, now, this is gonna sound a little bit bizarre, but just go with me for a second, but I've never seen the movie Titanic. This one right here, never seen it. It came out when I was in fifth grade Um, 25 years ago. But everybody I know who has seen it loves it, and they talk about the amazing perspective that it has brought to them for the events of that actual, or to the actual events of that night when 1,500 plus people lost their lives in the icy waters of the Atlantic. And even though I've not seen it, what I can tell you is that this is a great example, a great analogy, metaphor for the world we live in today. Because the world we live in today is slowly going, is slowly sinking. Because there is coming a day when we won't be able to start a relationship with Christ. And that means that we have a lot of work to do. The task that we have been given to make disciples is vitally important. It's important for our families and our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, and anybody else that God has put in our lives, because there's still room in the lifeboats, so to speak. And I want you to hear me clearly. The reason this is all so important, the reason we should live like this is because the urgency. It's because Jesus' heart breaks for those who are far from him. We see that all the time throughout the Gospels. We see it in John chapter 3 when Jesus talks with Nicodemus. We see it in John chapter 4 in his conversation with the woman at the well. We see it in Luke 19 when Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of that sycamore tree. And it's the fact that Jesus' heart breaks for those who are far from him that prompted Peter to write in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is not slow in fulfilling his word. He is patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this is why we are spending so much time focusing on our mission of helping people find their way back to God. Because as followers of Jesus, we have been charged with the same task as these 70. But 2,000 years later, we often find ourselves asking things like, how do I even get started? I don't know if I'm prepared for this. I have no clue what to do or what to say. And I want you to hear me. Those are really valid feelings because this message is so incredibly important. But fortunately for you, you're already exactly where you need to be. You are in the perfect place to get started because God has given you an audience, an influence with the people he wants you to. To, to speak to. These are the quote-unquote places he wants you to go. Those are the places where he wants his kingdom to be announced and to be revealed. And in the first week of our series, we ask this question, who are your few? Verse 2 tells us that Jesus doesn't expect us to be the only ones working in the field. And please, uh, ask, sorry, can you leave that question up for a minute? We'll get to this in a second. Um, he doesn't ask you to be the only one working in the field. He just asks you to work your portion of the harvest field. And so have you figured out who your few are? Have you figured out what portion of the, of the harvest field is yours to work? And if you have, then pray for other people to come and work alongside you. And if you're not sure where to start or how to begin, simply start by trying to represent Jesus. Because we're here to love people as he loves us. We just sang great songs about how much Jesus loves us. But it's not just for us in this room. It's for everybody that we, that we come in contact with. And we're here to share that hope with the people that God has put in our lives. And that's the basis for why we're going to study through the book of Acts as a whole church. We're asking our connections, connection groups to study through Acts with us, to read through the book of Acts with us. Even GSM students are going to read and study and discuss the book of Acts because of what Jesus says in Luke, chapter, in Luke 10, verse 2, which is so important. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus is clear that he knows there's a lot of work to do. And that the most challenging part of this is that there's not, there aren't enough people to work alongside us. But if we break this down, there are three distinct parts that I wanna look at. One, the harvest is plentiful. Like, as we've already said, there's a lot of work to be done. Part number two, the workers are few, and that's just the reality of the situation. But the hopeful part is in part number three, ask the Lord of the Harvest to send out more workers. ask, Pray and ask God as you faithfully do your work in your portion of the field to send more people and work alongside you. And so here's our response to this verse as a church. One, we have to pray for more workers. And we're gonna do this all year long. We're going to do this as we study through the book of Acts. We're going to do this as we offer um, ministry training opportunities and as we offer more small groups and everything else we do, including increasing our generosity to ministry partners, is a prayer prayer to God to send more workers into your field. And the second thing we need to realize is that we're the answer to our own prayer and recognize that you've been saved for a purpose. You haven't been saved just to go to heaven when you die. And as Jesus sent out his 70, he is sending out you, regardless of your age or your stage of life, you have a part to play. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make an eternal difference in somebody else's life. But none of this works if it doesn't start from a, from a place of humble prayer. And so we've written this daily prayer, and on your way in, you should have gotten one of these bookmarks that has a, has a reading plan on one side to read along with us through the book of Acts. But on the other side, it has a daily prayer that we've written that we'd like for you, that we're asking for you to pray alongside us. I do feel like I should give you a bit of a disclaimer, though. If you, if you choose to pray this daily, like we're asking, and like much of our staff have decided to do, and you commit to responding in obedience Things are going to get uncomfortable. But I want to to walk you through this prayer because if we will do this, we'll see God do some amazing things, I'm convinced. And so here's here's the prayer we're asking you to pray every day. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. That should be our motivation, our gratefulness for what he's done for us and his love for us. And then I want you to do for others what you've done for me use me today to help others know you this is the simple prayer we're asking you to pray as individuals and as families because the harvest is plentiful the field is massive and every single one of us has a part to play in helping people lead helping helping lead people back to god not just back to church And while it may get dangerous and it may get uncomfortable, praying this every day, if we will commit to praying this and responding in obedience, we'll start to experience what those 70 experienced. And verse 17 of Luke 10 says that they returned with joy at what they had seen God do. I'm going to tell you, once you get a taste of what it means to make disciples, you won't want to turn back. It won't be easy by any means, but it's part of the abundant life that Christ came to offer us. Because when we finally grasp that we only live because Christ lives in us, working the harvest field doesn't become an inconvenience. It doesn't become a task. It becomes a great joy. And on top of just becoming a great joy for us, Verse 21 tells us that it becomes a great joy for Jesus as well. Because verse 21 says that when they came back and Jesus was hearing all of the things that they did and the joy that they had, he was filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. at What the Spirit had accomplished in beginning this true exodus. And when we prayerfully and obediently engage in the mission of Christ with the places he wants us to go, the people he wants us to carry this message to, it brings great joy to the heart of God. Gracious God, thank you for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for ushering in your kingdom into the world that you created so that you could begin the real Exodus. That you could begin the process of saving your children. God, we cannot thank you enough for that. And our our song Sometimes the best we can do. And God, I pray that every one of us here today will have our heart broken by you for the people in our lives. God, give us the courage we need to carry this invaluable message of hope and salvation forward to the places where you have for us to go. It is in the precious, powerful, and holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.